Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Gas prices drop, grocery prices go up. How corporations are making record profits will run down some numbers. In the meantime, farm workers at a tomato farm in California decide to go union. And today on the show, it's art in support of union rights and the latest from the National Council of Occupational Safety and Health. Welcome to the Thursday, November 30th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Zach Horn. Now, who is this guy? Well, he's a senior lecturer at the University of Massachusetts in Boston, and he loves painting pictures of union brothers and sisters. This all started around 2016, 2017, when Verizon locked out his next-door neighbor. His next-door neighbor was Jimmy. And he was a member of IBEW Local 2222. They were locked out for seven weeks. And coming from a five-generation union family, Zach felt compelled to offer his support to the workers. So he gave faces to the people that companies treat as numbers. And he put a portrait together, a pretty large portrait. He'll talk about it. And it's been... uh, Shown in several locations, including the Commonwealth Museum in Massachusetts, the American Labor Museum in New Jersey, and the Museum of Work and Culture in Rhode Island. He'll talk about his journey. His his late grandmother inspired him. She was an activist for the Philadelphia Federation of Teachers in the 1960s, and she she ended up in jail one night. And he heard this story from some of his family members, and uh, he's been inspired ever since. So we'll talk about that. And his latest is the Ark of the Moral Universe, which uh, is now in a Teamster Hall. This would be Local 25 in Boston, and it's an art exhibit that honors labor unions in Massachusetts and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. Quite fascinating. Again, the website is ZachHornArt.com, ZachHornArt.com. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Peter Dooley on behalf of a great organization that we have featured many times on the show. That's uh, the National Council of Occupational Safety and Health. NationalKosh.org is their website. This is a group that links the efforts of local worker health and safety coalitions in communities all across the country. And they just came out with a report on um, people getting injured on the job. Millions of preventable workplace illnesses and injuries show the urgent need for worker-centered safety reforms, according to National Kosh. The Bureau of Labor Statistics released a report showing an estimated 2.8 million serious, serious workplace injuries and illnesses last year, which, by the way, is a 7.5% increase from the previous year, 2021. The co-executive director of National Cost, Jessica Martinez, said, you shouldn't have to break your back, lose your limb, or get electrocuted when you go to work your shift. 
workers more than anyone understand their jobs and worker-centered solutions need to be the most effective, need to lead to the most effective safety reforms that can prevent injuries and illnesses before they happen. And sadly, and this will come out with uh, Peter in his interview today, the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, does not collect sufficient data to fully analyze non-fatal injuries by race or ethnic origin. And due to a long history of workplace discrimination, the evidence that black and brown workers are more likely to suffer fatal workplace injuries than other workers, it's important to investigate this even further. So Peter Dooley will cover all of this and more as our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management, offering fixed income, real estate, and equity investments to clients nationwide. And they've been doing this since 1928. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Well, by now you've realized that gas prices have gone down a lot. They have dropped an average $1.70 from their peak. Also, airline fares are down 13%. Car rental prices down about 10%. This is all over the past year. However, here's a problem. Grocery prices still rising. And Senator Bob Casey, a Democrat out of Pennsylvania, has taken on the issue, documenting how corporations are making record profits on the back's of American families. In his report, Senator Casey noted that from July of 2020 through last year, July of 2020 to July of 2022, inflation rose 14%. Corporate profits rose 75%, five times as fast. And get this, a family making $68,000 a year in 2022 paid $6,740 in that period to corporate executives and wealthy shareholders. Isn't that amazing how they came up with that figure? The report notes that the cost for chicken went up 20% in 2021 as Tyson Foods doubled their profits from the first quarter of the year to the first quarter of last year. Tyson, by the way, has been ordered to pay hundreds of millions of dollars in penalties and restitution for illegally conspiring to inflate chicken prices. PepsiCo's chief financial officer said in April of this year that even though inflation was dropping, their prices would not. He said, and this is a quote, consumers generally look at our products and say, you know what, they're worth paying a little bit more. Have you said that when you go shopping for a Pepsi? Oh, it's, it's more, but you know what? It should be more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, President Biden has launched a campaign to push back on corporate profiteering, including cracking down on the practice of so-called junk fees. These are the hidden costs for air travel, car rentals, credit cards, cable TV, ticket sales, so on and so forth. In fact, baggage fees. Here's a good one. There used to be a time where if you had to take a bag on a trip, you didn't have to pay, all right? Now people take several bags because they stay longer, and it's going to cost you a couple hundred dollars. Well, last year, the airline industry collected more than $6.7 billion, billion dollars in baggage fees. 
And the Washington Post reports that corporate lobbyists are warring with the Biden administration to stop the crackdown. One lobbyist for the airline industry testified at a federal hearing, this was in March, that changing the policy would create confusion and frustration and that there have been very few complaints about the extra cost for bags. By the way, the same lobbying group told the Department of Transportation that the government had no data, zero, to demonstrate substantial harm to passengers. Different world, different world. Farm workers in uh, Stanislaus County, this is a tomato farm, this is in California, and a packing company, DMB Packing. They have successfully unionized under a new state law. The new law, which was effective as of May, allows workers to unionize using authorization cards. And it turns out that just over half of the company's 297 workers voted for union representation. And it should come as no surprise that DMB Packing is disputing those results. As the real estate industry faces high vacancy rates and reduced property values, the New York Times is reporting that thousands of cleaning workers are prepared to fight against potential cuts to their health care benefits. The workers, part of 32BJSEIU, big union, they represent about 20,000 commercial maintenance workers gathered in demonstrations in several locations in New York City, and they are ready to strike for the first time in 27 years. And uh, one more here. Labor unions in the Czech Republic staged a day of protests and strikes on Monday. Why? To voice opposition to the government's budget cut package aimed at addressing the national deficit. The newly approved package includes higher taxes on certain consumer products, higher corporate taxes, and... Here's the big one for workers, cuts to the pension budget. In addition to protesting the new financial measures, protesters also marched to demand more funding for the education and health care systems nationwide. In response to the protests, the prime minister, head of the new government, defended that the budget cuts were absolutely necessary to address the country's deficit. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to speak with an artist out of Boston, Zach Horn. United we bargain, divided we beg. Art in support of union rights. That's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, 
Google and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, and exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. And that would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Elon Musk not too happy because a lot of advertisers are pulling out of Twitter because of some of the comments he's been making. But that's how the market works, Elon. That's how it works. By the way, this uh, next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. I love the teachers. They're, they're a feisty bunch. And joining us on our live line right now is Zach Horn who is an artist, and uh, he's got a couple of uh, displays in various union halls, including the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, Local 25. But he's got a storied history, and turns out that his grandma was one heck of a fighter in a teacher's union going back to the 1960s. I talked about that earlier, but I want to talk more because we have Zach online number one right now from Boston, Massachusetts, where he is a senior lecturer at the University of Massachusetts, and he lives there with his wife and uh, three sons. Zach, reading a whole lot about you at the beginning of the show, I'm really fascinated with what you have accomplished here. Art in support of union rights. That got my attention. Let's talk about grandma. here. You know, it, it seems there's always either a teacher, a parent, an uncle, somebody in, in, in a person's life inspires them at an early age. Talk to me about, in your words, talk to me about that time and how old were you when uh, when grandma got arrested for trying to talk <laughs> about working class issues? Go ahead, brother. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so my grandmother, I was called her bossy, but her name is Bernice. Uh, she was a member of the Philadelphia Federation of Teachers. Uh, actually, my grandfather was too. He's a, he was a history teacher and my grandmother was an art teacher. And um, she raised me on art, you know, going to the Philadelphia Museum of Art um, since before I can even remember. And um, she also taught me to, to believe in union rights, to see union rights as a matter of fairness. And so her story was, it was like way before I was born. But apparently there was some strike they weren't allowed to, uh, to go out on or protest that they knew that, that if they went there, they were going to get uh, in some trouble. So... Uh, <laughs> She went out and, sure enough, uh, got arrested. Uh, so anyway, I heard about it years later, but her advice uh-huh. to me always was, uh, if you're going to go on strike and you know you're going to get arrested, always bring a toothbrush. 
<laughs> you never know where you're going to end up, right? <laughs> but but uh, grandmotherly advice. So Ed, the problem with the way that art works is that art has kind of historically got it wrong for workers. Uh, when when museums show paintings of like famous people, so here here in Boston, the big museum is the uh, the Museum of Fine Arts, and they have this gorgeous room in the middle with big red walls and tall tall ceilings, and they have two paintings by a guy named Velazquez, who was the court painter to King Philip IV. And they have a huge portrait of him and a huge portrait of his daughter, Infanta Maria Teresa. And like when you look at the people who the rich people, the royals from you know, hundreds of years ago, you can name them and know like exactly who they are. And like right around the corner is a picture of a farm worker in a field. And the picture is called the sower. You know, somebody who wakes up early in the morning and drops the seeds in the fields. And that portrait, you can't see the guy's face. Don't know his name, don't know anything about him. It's completely anonymous. And so like when I was going there, it just annoyed me. Like why are these paintings of the royals real people, identifiable people, humans, and the workers are, are you know, anonymous. They're archetypes. They, they, don't, they don't have a sense of identity. So right. They're, one they're of nobodies. My goals, yeah. right, one of my goals was, you know, just to correct that, to kind of fix the historical record, that show working people, make artwork in honor of working people that showed, showed their real humanity, mm-hmm. showed what they were going through. Now, when did you when did you start doing this, and what kind of reception did you get when you when you put those faces together? So I started working on this project in 2016. Um, my next door neighbor, Jimmy, is a Verizon worker. He works for um, the IBEW local 2222. And uh, in 2016, as you probably know, they were locked out for seven weeks. And uh, coming from a union family and being a union member myself, just it annoyed me so bad. Uh, at the time, by the way, Verizon, Verizon's uh, yearly uh, revenue was $126 billion. And Verizon was claiming that they didn't have money to pay their workers. Of course. So for seven weeks, Jimmy was locked out and, um, and making some, some artwork in, in his honor, in honor of the IBW workers, uh, felt like you know, the most... Uh, honest and um, beneficial way I could help. So, uh, so I proposed the show to a, a local museum here called the Commonwealth Museum, and they agreed to host it, and it led to um, the first show in honor of uh, working people. So it was the IBW, the Iron Workers Local 7, the Boston Teachers Union, and the SEIU uh, 32BJ, uh, who's uh, the janitorial staff at UMass Boston where I teach. So those were the first participants, and, and the first version of the show was called uh, "United We Bargain, Divided We Beg," which is a line that um, the business manager of the IBW, Miles Calvi, uh, gave me. It's something that that they really hold on to as a as a statement of their own solidarity. Mm-hmm. So, so the best part of that show was they invited me to go to their meetings, and it was so interesting. Like even even like once once the um, the lockout got resolved that uh, Verizon was like constantly trying to divide the union. So they wanted to, they wanted all these linemen to install fires you know, all over the city of Boston, but they wanted to give this bonus to the workers for installing the lines and promoting this, this new uh, technology. 
But the problem is they wouldn't give the bonus to the union. They wouldn't like uh, let everybody share in it. They would try to intentionally give it to like one worker at a time just to try and divide people from one another rather than like letting the workers work as a team. Mm-hmm. The whole thing felt like so petty. Um, but uh, it, it was a real honor just to, to work with those guys, get to talk to them about my project and uh, have them let me use their, um, their portraits for the show. Can you be specific on, on what you put together there? I mean, he, he, this, uh, this strike was going on. Well, they were locked out. They were locked out for what you said, seven weeks altogether. Did you compile this during that, that lockout? And did you do it in the, the union hall? And, and how, many, how many people were part of this portrait? Can you get specific on that? Oh, man. Um, so the portrait is enormous. It, it's probably 25, 30 people in it, and it's about over 20 feet long. So, so my timeline is long. Right? To make a piece like that takes, you know, a, a few months. So, sure. by the time, so by the time I got the whole thing done, they, you know, they were at least back on solid footing, back at work. And at least I got to celebrate, you know, like um, them getting a new contract and the whole thing kind of working out for the workers. So what, what I really like about that piece in particular is that it, it had this kind of really terrific natural kind of arc to it where it went, you know, I made it while they were, work, while they were having this, um, this work stoppage. Then it got exhibited at the museum, and actually then it went to another museum called the American Labor Museum. And then finally, um, a different IBW uh, in New Jersey had a union hall down there big enough to take it. And so it actually <laughs> got to go uh, to the union hall in New Jersey for the IBW, which like, was the most rewarding thing. Like, I'm making this for the workers. I want to show it to the world to say, like, you know, these people have a moral cause. They're doing the right thing. People care. Here's artwork that's on, you know on their side, but then I love the fact that it actually like went back to the workers. That the workers get to like host it and see see some of themselves in it. I, you know, that's my hope yeah. anyway. Yeah. What did the workers say when you unveiled this uh, this artwork? <laughs> I, you know, I I think it's odd for people to see themselves like sort of immortalized like that you know it's, uh, yeah. I, I get a little bit like hey you got my nose wrong kind of thing <laughs> but, my but, nose uh, isn't that big right <laughs> that's right <laughs> and uh, oh the guys in New Jer- the guys in New Jersey didn't like all the Patriots hats in the, in the you know the people wearing Boston t-shirts from the from the Boston workers hanging in there you know, uh-huh. you know I, I get the, I get like the typical stuff but you know, I, I hope I hope the bigger message resonates that like people care that their cause is moral, and um, and they're not alone. Now, this was your first first portrait that you uh, that you know, obviously with working men and women in it is is that right? Part of the first show, I think the first piece I did for that show maybe was. Um, a, a portrait of somebody I work with at UMass Boston. He's the janitor who works on my floor. Uh, his name is Francisco, and um, he's part of the SCIU 32 BJ. And I think his was maybe the first one I did. And I just wanted to make mm-hmm. him make him look regal. Yeah. Make him look like that that portrait of uh, Keith Phillips the fourth at the MFA. Right. Right. 
Well, that was one person. This one here, you mentioned there's what, like 25, 20, 25 people in the, in the one that you did at, uh, for at local least, 22, yeah. 22. That's a lot. That's a lot. Nice size. Yeah. Zach Horn joining us on our live line today. Zach is an artist. ZachHornArt.com. We'll continue with him later in the show. We're going to check in with Peter Dooley and talk about worker safety. We got a long way to go there. And he'll be joining us from the National Council of Occupational Safety and Health. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at CWA-Union.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go back to our live line rejoin, Zach Horn. Do check out this website, ZachHornArt.com. Dot com. He is a uh, fifth-generation union guy going back to the 1960s. We talked earlier about his grandma, the union activist that she was with the uh, teachers' union. And Zach currently is a senior lecturer at the University of Massachusetts in Boston. United we bargain, divided we beg. It's art in support of union rights. We were talking earlier 
about what he did, this portrait, which was huge, and it's moved around to various places. And I noticed that uh, the Teamsters, well, I tell you, they're pretty happy with what you put together. And this would be a Local 25, which recently, just a couple of weeks ago, unveiled the Ark of the Moral Universe, an exhibit that honors labor unions in Massachusetts and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. All right, Zach, talk to me about this one. I, I, you're on a roll here, brother. You're, you're hitting a lot of unions. Go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, so the original uh, iteration of this show was for the Massachusetts State House. Um, I, I had the real pleasure to work with Senator Paul Feeney. He's, he's a state senator from Bristol and Norfolk. And um, he, he was also a member of uh, the IBW Local 2222, which is how I first met him before he, um, before he went into politics. So he had, you know, we were talking about the idea of bringing a show in support of working people to the state house. They they have a bunch of artwork there, but nothing really that talks about, you know, how working people live or how what work is like in our state. So uh, at the time was um, I was reading a lot about the UPS workers, and they had this contract that was coming up. It's going to be adjudicated by us. Uh, Sean O'Brien's general president, and what I really loved about about the idea of it is like sort of in advance that they were in this active negotiation that didn't know if it was going to work or not, didn't know if they were going to get a contract, and I, I love the idea of at that moment supporting them, right? That putting this show together that was talked specifically about UPS workers, with the hope that you know they would get a contract and this thing would be a celebration, not and not a protest that they didn't get a contract. Mm-hmm. So, um, so since it was UPS workers, I decided to do uh, their work on cardboard. So the whole thing is ink on cardboard, and it kind of looks like cardboard boxes. And it's UPS workers, it's delivery guys. So this was um, a way of kind of tying tying the materials itself in, into their struggle. So uh, the other thing that happened in Boston is uh, we unveiled a, a brand new memorial to Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, called the Embrace. It's in the middle of Boston Common, and it's two enormous sort of people embracing, just arms. And it made me start to read a lot more of, of um, Dr. Martin Luther King's speeches. And I knew he had given all these speeches to labor unions. I mean, famously, AFSCME is like the last one he gave right before he was um, murdered in, in April of '68. Uh, but he'd also given all these speeches to the AFL-CIO, to the SCIU, and I started to read them, and and they are so beautiful. I mean, the things that he says, and he he speaks like gospel, but but the things that he says are just give such clarity to the cause of unions and moral weight, which is what I I just loved, and so I had this idea of of pairing these portraits of the UPS workers with the quotes from um, Dr. Martin Luther King, especially because the State House is directly across from Boston Common, like almost looking directly at that new memorial. And, and I thought, you know, in terms of Dr. King's legacy, that it presented this slightly different side of him. We learned about Dr. King as this, like, consummate peacemaker, a man of grace. But there's this activist side to Dr. King also, which is fighting for workers' rights, the Poor People's Campaign, and I, I love this this other version of him, and wanted to present that because when I read some of those quotes, I was surprised 
So I thought I thought other people would be too. Can, can I read you one? Yeah, go Here's ahead. One. King said, now the other thing is that nothing is gained without pressure. Don't let anybody tell you go back on the job and paternalistic, paternalistically say, now you are my men and I'm going to do the right thing for you. Just come back on the job. Don't go back on the job until the demands are met. It's like all things like that where he's like, he's not, he's not talking like pie in the sky ideas about the nobility of workers. I mean, there's a little bit of that too, but it, a lot of it's like nuts and bolts. Like, Hey, come sign up. We're going to have a strike. Don't go back on the job until they agree to our demands. It's, it's like real, real pro union stuff. That's not, it's not a wishy washy in any way. And I, I loved putting his name. He's like our, our civics closest we have in America to a civic saint. Someone we can all agree is like this person had more clarity and knew it was right. So putting his quotes next to these, these portraits of the UPS workers felt like um, a, way, a way of providing some clarity to their cause. Yeah. And and I had the I had the real luxury of, of working at, at President I, I should give a shout out President Tam, Thomas Mary of the um, the IBT Local Twenty Five said yes to the show. I mean, when people say yes to these things, the work doesn't even exist yet. So they have to, there's like a little bit of a leap of faith. And then, um, and then it worked. I mean, the show was great at the Statehouse, but more importantly, it, it was in honor of the new contract that the UPS workers won. And they really, um, historic new contract. So if it was like a real honor that the exhibition became the celebration of, of a real triumph for labor. Yeah. Oh, that was a big and, celebration. Um, yeah. And then um, a compliment to me, the IBT Local 25 here in Boston was so excited about the show that they wanted to bring it to their union hall. So um, a couple weeks later, I had to reformulate some of the stuff, but we brought the whole thing to their hall to go on. Well, they call it permanent display, but it's work on cardboard, so... Until the cardboard sort of falls apart, but it'll be on display for as long as as long as we can. <laughs> Until the cardboard falls apart, good one. <laughs> <laughs> I should say one thing that the the title of the show, "The Ark of the Moor Universe," is a quote from from Dr. King as well. His quote right. is, "The Ark the Ark of the, the Moor Universe is long, but it bends towards justice." Yeah, we hope it bends toward justice. It's not easy, but eventually it does bend toward justice. This is great stuff here, Zach. You you really made my day. I mean, it's almost like I could picture what you uh, what you have painted here. And uh, I, I guess my next question here is, what's next? I mean, you're you're you you've accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. And I know you're raising a family. You're a lecturer, and just wondering what's what's next on your agenda. So, uh, show in February. Excuse me, in June at the. I'm going to say this poorly, but it's Taiovan Museo Worstis. It's the Finnish Labor Museum in Tampere in Finland. Uh, asked me to come and um, do an exhibition this summer. So I'm thinking this through. Don't, don't hold me to this, but I did a project a few years ago um, with the UFCW, the um, United it's uh, food and food commercial, commercial workers, workers, local 1445, yeah. the stop and shop workers when they had their strikes yeah. in Boston. And um, those paintings eventually went on display at the Museum of Work and Culture in Rhode Island. But it, it sort of it happened like right during COVID, and, and I felt like 
maybe this a part of that story that didn't get to finish. And I don't know what the stop and shop is like in, I don't know if you guys have it in, in Ohio, but the ones here, they have something very weird, which is this robot who kind of like, just like zooms around the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems like this robot doesn't do anything. Like he doesn't clean up. He doesn't arrange shelves. He just kind of like spies on people or looks at people. And the whole thing is very bizarre. The, the robot's name is Marty. I looked him up. He's made by Badger Technologies. And like, I just have my, my like radar up about um, automation and displacement of workers. And, and I just see this like, this robot is sort of like the the first like visible example of that where it's like actively in my life every day um and so i'm I'm very curious about like talking to the union about this robot and um and and what the, what is what is he actually doing so that's that's what I'm thinking about at the moment. Don't hold me to that. Well, Zach, you certainly have uh, led an interesting life, and it sounds like you got a lot more life in you. So you keep doing what you're doing. I love your uh, support for unions, and especially the people that just don't get noticed, and that's that's what shows up in your in your portraits. Zach Horn, ZachHornArt.com is a website to go to. Uh, please stay in touch with us, and, and good luck to you in Finland, okay, brother? Hey, thanks, thanks so much for having me. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to link up with Peter Dooley on behalf of the National Council of Occupational Safety and Health. Keyword safety, we'll talk about it next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. 
This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, where you can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to uh, line number two right now. And joining us is Peter Dooley. He's been on the show a couple of times before. He is a certified industrial hygienist who is a program and technical support specialist at National Kosh. Now, Kosh stands for the Council of Occupational Safety and Health. National Kosh links the efforts of local worker health and safety coalitions in communities all around the country, and they advocate for the elimination of preventable hazards in the workplace. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of preventable hazards. In fact, there's some data recently announced by the Bureau of Labor Statistics estimating that 2.8 million preventable injuries and illnesses occurred in 2022. Peter Dooley. Now you've been, you've been in this fall in the field of safety for a long, how many, how many years have you been involved in, in safety? Let's start right there. Well, 45 years as a professional. And I got into the field as a worker who was exposed to a lot of dangerous situations on the job. And I understand, too, you also worked with the UAW. Is that right? I was, yes. I was in the health and safety department of the UAW for almost 25 years. Good, good. Well, they're pretty happy campers right now with that with that new contract. Have you been hearing from some of your brothers in the UAW? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a great victory for UAW, and uh, all workers are, are benefiting from, uh, you know, this rise in uh, labor support and labor action to defend the rights of workers. Absolutely. And, and when you go to a union workforce, you know, the, the safety conditions are much, much better than a non-union workforce. But let, let's talk about this, uh, this uh, report that came out here, because it's sad that here we are today that we're seeing so many injuries on the job. And it's, uh, I mean, there's, there's jobs that are very dangerous out there. And you would think that the employers for cost benefits would probably put more money into safety programs. What, why don't you explain what's going on? Why are there so many injuries right now? Are they ignoring safety protocols or what? Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of uh, really dangerous workplaces out there. Every workplace has its own dangers, but but uh, industries like the construction industry, um, a lot of different industries are particularly dangerous, um, and it takes resources to 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 make them safe, uh, and and it also takes really uh, having workers the ones who really know the jobs involved in the safety and health programs. And most employers are unwilling to really, um, you know, sort of give up that power over workers and, and really uh, have workers involved in the program. Uh, and, and by the way, Ed, these numbers are very, very uh, low in terms of uh, this is a, a self-reporting system. Um, 
that the real numbers for serious injuries, these are injuries that, that really disable a worker, prevent them from doing their job, uh, is more like 5 million, uh, which is almost double the, 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 the official uh, numbers that they count. Peter, in your experience, do you feel that a lot of employers fail to report injuries because of, of the costs? They're saying, oh, well, you can just just go to the local doctor here and, you know, we'll 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 take care of it here. Don't worry about it. We don't want it reported. Is that happening in America? Absolutely. They not only fail to report, they they intentionally have programs to discourage reporting. There's all kinds of ways and it ranges from you know, incentives for not reporting, whether it's a pizza party or a, uh, a chance to win a, a TV or whatever for not, you know, for, for departments that don't have that, that don't have recordable injuries all the way to discrimination for people who do report. Uh, so, so there's a wide range of tools that the, that the employer has to suppress reporting. Let's pick up on the discrimination part, because I saw in the study that there's evidence black and brown workers are more likely to suffer fatal workplace injuries. Why? Is that because they're in more dangerous jobs or what? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. More dangerous jobs, less um, less education and training, less uh, uh, provision for safety equipment, uh, just all around are exposed to uh, higher hazards in workplaces. Um, and, and, and it basically, it, it, it flows over to low-wage workers and, and, and unorganized workers. Workers who don't have a union um, are all at higher risk, uh, you know, on the job. I still can't get over the pizza party part. Well, you got injured in the job. We'll give you a pizza. Just go home, enjoy the pizza, and everything's going to be okay. That's hard to take here. That's really hard to take. Um, I want to talk about an indictment here, and this is glaring in this report that came out from National Akash, and it's pretty much an indictment of what has happened to the workers' compensation system. And you know, it, it used to be good. In fact, they call this the grand bargain employers would be relieved of possible liability from say tort lawsuits and then workers would receive swift compensation if they got hurt on the job what has changed here what what has happened to that grand bargain peter well em- employers have weaponized um you know uh, workplace injuries uh, against workers in a sense of um basically cost containment everything the whole drive in the last several decades has been weakening worker benefits and worker rights at the state level uh, it's important for people to to know that workers compensation is a state by state law uh, so every state is different and it's a race to the bottom so all these so all these states have have been uh, weakening the, the provisions for injured workers in order to entice business to move into their state. Uh, and workers have been the ones who have suffered. Uh, so, so the systems have just gotten, uh, it's basically a business lobby that has been very successful at, um, at, at, at weakening the systems. And, and this is a whole, it's a business to manage workers' compensation claims and, and, and workers are, injured workers are the ones who are the victims. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, they get stigmatized. Um, they, they get uh, accused of being a, of being a fraud in the system when it's really insurance companies and businesses that are the frauds who basically deprive workers of the benefits that they deserve. So it's become a whole uh, cost-cutting process. And the other thing that listeners should know is that you know sometimes uh, there there are legal there are lawsuits that are possible for injured workers outside of the workers compensation system if there's a if there's a third party other than the employer that has some responsibility for uh, the injury happening they may be liable in a lawsuit so the bottom line what we always advise workers is you really have to talk to a good workers attorney to really you know get help in in sort of finding out what's your best um, recourse for trying to get the benefits that you deserve so you have to go out of the system in order to get uh, some compensation and, and I'm reading a majority of America has gone down this path 33 out of 50 states have passed laws that reduce benefits create hurdles to getting medical care or make it more difficult to qualify for workers comp. Now you mentioned that this, this is a state program. Is there anything that the federal government can do to, to force the states or come up with a better program? So workers get the help that they need. Could that, there is, is that possible? There is absolutely no federal oversight over what happens at the state level with workers' compensation. This is a huge um, gap in, in the protection system for Americans, for all of Americans. Every, every group that has looked at workers' compensation has come up with the same conclusion, that the system is broken and they need, we need some uh, overall protections that are guaranteed to every American worker, but it doesn't exist. Um, and it, uh, it, it, it is a big fight that we have to really take to the, the Congress and, and to our legislators um, to, to really get better protection for the system that's, that's currently broken. Yeah, in the meantime, you're just going to see more, more workers get injured and uh, they're not going to get the, uh, the compensation that they deserve. The National Safety Council estimates the true cost to employers of workplace injuries and fatalities, $167 billion a year. That's a chunk of change, chunk of change. The tragedy to this whole system is that it, it basically makes it cheap for, work, for employers to, to, to hurt, to injure workers and not have safety programs in place that prevent these serious injuries. Um, and so it, there's no incentive it, uh, for employers to really put the resources where they, where they need in safety. Uh, and, yeah. and so this system is really just a, uh, a, a loss loss to everyone except employers because it's cheap. Yeah. 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 They're business friendly. They're business friendly. You can exactly. come to our state. Yeah, you come to our state, you get injured on the job, don't worry about it. We'll give them a pizza. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. And, oh, and my God. Yet, this... they, bl- they blame workers to, to, you know, for, for, for them being, for workers uh, causing the, the injury. 
Uh, it's this, you know, sort of scapegoat kind of thing where it's very easy for employers not to take responsibility. They find some way to blame workers and just shrug it off as, as um, you know, not their, not their responsibility, not their fault. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I could see them in a conference room. Well, maybe you weren't paying attention. What were you doing last night? Were you drinking too much? Were you partying? Um, I mean, there's probably a myriad of things that they'll grill employees on, and then they're going to be afraid. The next one was going to be afraid to go in there and say, okay, you know what? I got hurt, but I'm going to live with it. Boy, this is so sad. So sad here. There is a guide on National Kosh here, Building Worker Power Through Health and Safety Committees which recommends several steps to reduce preventable injuries and illnesses. And that would be on the website, nationalkosh.org, nationalkosh.org. Peter, this was an eye-opener. Thank you so much for joining us. Anything else you'd like to add to this conversation? Uh, well, just that, that work, you know, everyone, everyone doesn't want to think that they're going to get hurt on the job. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's a, it's a sad reality when it happens and, and the workers who do get hurt are often trying to do the best they can, you know, to do, to get the job done. Um, and, and it's a sad reality when, you know, when they do get injured and sometimes the injury doesn't happen until later in life. Uh, construction workers, for example, I mean, there's, there's very few construction workers that get to the end of their 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 time on the job and aren't disabled um, for you know for you know for the rest of their lives and so these issues can affect all workers and the more that we pay attention to it um, and really get you know sort of more um, respect and and benefits for workers it's going to make the job safer and it's going to give people uh, more opportunities to enjoy their retirement Peter Dooley, certified industrial hygienist with National Kosh. That's the Council of Occupational Safety and Health talking about a new report from the Labor Department estimating 2.8 million preventable injuries and illnesses occurred in 2022, which is an increase of 7.5%. Peter, thank you so much. Keep in touch with us on this issue and more. Okay, brother? Always enjoy being on the show. Thank you, Ed. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the Columbus Central Ohio building trades and the story of the iron workers and the Christmas tree. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.